Morning, everyone. Um, please do pick up your Bibles with me and turn to page 1040 of the Church Bibles. Um, today's passage is from Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. That's page 1040, Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is God's word. Hello. Why is Jesus so harsh? Um, Reading those words, I'm sure a few eyebrows will have just been raised. Imagine someone after this service taps you on the shoulder and says, I want to become a Christian. Are you going to say to them, great, give up your home, don't go to your father's funeral and never see your family again? You are never going to say that. No chance, no way. So why does Jesus seem to do something similar here? We're going to find an answer to this right here at the start of the service, and then we can focus on the main points without um, distraction. Last week, we read that Jesus entered a Samaritan village, and they slammed their doors in Jesus' face. They said, no way, not here, no chance. And again, we're going to see next week that um, there are more villages where Jesus is rejected. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, very easy names to say like that. We're going to read uh, Jesus saying in verse 16, whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. So before these three encounters this morning and after these three encounters this morning, the theme, the context is rejection. Why does that matter? Well, I conclude that Luke, who wrote this biography of Jesus, has included these three conversations here because they are also examples of people who reject Jesus. Um, Just so you know, sometimes uh, the events in Gospels are organized by theme rather than order of time. These people, especially the second two, they're not genuinely seeking Jesus, they're desperately looking for excuses. This is the way to view these three conversations. They're not genuinely seeking Jesus. They're desperately looking for excuses. So go back to imagining a person tapping you on the shoulder at the end of the service. This time they don't say, I want to become a Christian. This time they say, I would become a Christian, 
but such and such is more important to me. The way you reply to that person is going to be very different to the way you reply to the genuine seeker. You may even rightly sound um, harsh or blunt. I'm satisfied that this is the reason why Jesus replies the way he does here. These are people who aren't genuinely seeking Jesus. They're desperately looking for excuses. And I'm persuaded of this because we're in this kind of mini section on rejection. Okay, controversy to one side. Which word... You can have a look at your Bibles if you want to. Which word do we find in each of these three conversations? Anyone spotted it? Follow, correct. Um, I don't know who said that, but um, yeah, gold star to you. Um, Follow. Verse 57 opens with Jesus and his disciples walking along the road. And we know from last week that this is the mercy-paved journey towards the cross. And in these verses, we get one more teaching about what discipleship road is like. If you're thinking about a Christian, here's an insight into what the Christian life is like. And if you, Christian, are wanting to walk more closely with Jesus, this is how it is done. Firstly, what is is following Jesus like? Following Jesus is uncomfortable. That's our first point, and we'll put verses 57 and 58 up on the screen. Thank you. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. We don't really know any details about this man. The only thing that stands out, I think, is his enthusiasm. Um, He's... uh, He's like a teenager that's just discovered the Beatles. I picture him like bouncing on his toes with, uh, with excitement. I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. We might assume that uh, he's seen some of Jesus' power over sickness, over evil, over sin. We might assume that he's heard some of Jesus' teaching too. But Jesus perceives that even with all his enthusiasm, this man doesn't know what he's offering. He hasn't counted the cost. He doesn't know what discipleship road is like. And so in verse 58, Jesus says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Maybe you know, maybe you don't know, um, the son of man was a phrase that Jesus often used to refer to himself He did this to show that he was the fulfillment of prophecies in the Old Testament, prophecies from places like Daniel 7, where the Son of Man is a human being who's given the glory, power, and worship of God. He would, uh, this figure would judge the world and reign over an everlasting kingdom. So, By Jesus referring to himself with this title, the Son of Man, he's pointing to the fact that he is God. But it's a grand title in a very humble sentence, isn't it? Jesus, he's the Son of Man, he's God, and yet he has less than a fox has. He has less than a bird has. Dens and nests, um, they're the homes of foxes and birds, respectively. But the punchline isn't, but the Son of Man doesn't have a home. It's actually even worse. The Son of Man doesn't even have somewhere to rest his head, to lie down and sleep. 
You know what it's like after a long day. Your head is full of fog. Every single bone is aching. Your eyelids are just unbelievably heavy. But to sink back into a soft pillow on your bed, it just feels great. Such a relief. The Lord Jesus Christ, though far more deserving than us, though carrying far heavier a burden than us, doesn't even have this. He gave up everything for us. One cold December night in 2009, if you had crossed Blackfriars, Blackfriars Bridge in the city, you would have noticed a few homeless people sheltering behind a wheelie bin in the cold. And of course you'd feel for them, how awful to sleep rough like that. But you probably wouldn't have noticed anything out of the ordinary. Does anyone know who it was that was sleeping there in 2009 among the homeless? No? I see Prince William being mouthed at the back there. Absolutely right. Prince William, he left the palace and for one night he knew what it was to have nowhere to lay his head. The Lord Jesus did that in far greater measure. Not just for show, not just for a night, not just to sympathise with us, but to save us. To quote God's word, 2 Corinthians 8, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What a saviour. But why is Jesus saying this to the enthusiastic man we've just met on the road? Jesus is in effect saying, are you sure you want to follow a homeless person? If Jesus was homeless and had nowhere to lay his head, then those who go in the same direction as him can hardly expect a life of ease. We need to hear this. Following Jesus is uncomfortable. If you're thinking about becoming a Christian, brilliant, you're in the right place. But don't expect the Christian life to be easy. If you, Christian, are wanting to walk more closely with Jesus, you're going to have to say goodbye to the comfortable life. In different times and places, Christians have had to turn their backs on material comfort. Yet even in our setting, there is a fundamental comfort that we have to say goodbye to. To follow Jesus, even for us in comfortable Banstead, means homelessness. The Christian must embrace that this earth, this village, the roofs over our heads are not our homes. When we walk with Jesus, we step forward against the pressing tide of popular opinion, and we will not compromise. When we walk with Jesus, we invest our time and our money in the kingdom of God, not in our own temporary comforts. When we walk with Jesus, we, to, we choose to embrace the uncomfortable now for the sake of heavenly comfort later. Following Jesus is uncomfortable Secondly, following Jesus is urgent. 
following Jesus is urgent. And we'll put verses 59 and 60 up on the screen this time. Unlike the first encounter, this time it's, it's Jesus initiating the conversation. Can you see that there? He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Remember what I said at the start. This isn't a guy caught in a tricky dilemma, torn between two things he really wants to do. This isn't a guy who really wants to follow Jesus. God's word to a disciple struggling with bereavement. It's, it would be quite different to what we read here. If that's you this morning, struggling with that situation, I am sorry. If you'd like someone to pray with afterwards, I'm here, we're here, and the Lord is here. It's, it's hard just to hear Bible verses from the front when you're struggling with that pain, but, but try to hold on to this truth from Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. But this man is choosing not to follow Jesus and he's using the death of his father as an excuse. In any case, if his father has just died, I don't really know why he's out there on the side of the road anyway. Jewish tradition demanded that um, a body should be buried pretty much straight away and certainly the same day. Because of this fact, some people come to the conclusion that this man's father was in fact still alive. Um, if that's the case, then this man's excuse becomes, first, let me go, wait for my father to die, then I'll bury him, get his inheritance, and then I'll follow you. Um, I'm not sure we can confidently conclude that from these verses in front of us, but what we do know is that here's a man who doesn't want to follow Jesus, and he's grasped onto the most urgent excuse imaginable. But Jesus dismantles this excuse. Verse 60, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. As important as a funeral is, Jesus thinks there's something more important. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. Because as helpful as a funeral can be, there is a tragic futility about it. Um, morbid statement warning. From the perspective of eternity, we are all dead people taking turns to bury each other. Told you it was morbid. <laughs> but that's what Jesus means here. Death happens. There's nothing this man can do about that by attending the funeral. So what is more urgent than death? Life. There's a reason that ambulances drive faster than hearses do. And by saying, go and proclaim the kingdom of God, Jesus is telling this man to drive the ambulance. People die. So spread the only message that will bring life. The kingdom of God is healing, welcome, power and resurrection. And there is nothing more important than that. Nothing more urgent we have a kingdom that's everlasting. Every funeral tear wiped away. No more sickness, no more wrinkles or aching or aging. 
And the immigration, of, the immigration policy of the kingdom of God couldn't be more generous. If you turn to the cross for forgiveness, if you turn to follow Jesus, citizenship in this everlasting, deathless kingdom is yours. That's God's promise, not mine. Are you saying not yet to Jesus? Have you put the decision to follow him on the back burner? In a world where death happens, I don't think that makes sense. There's nothing more urgent than this. Your finances, ambitions, plans, they can all wait. Would you put off dialing 999 for any of those reasons? Don't say not yet to Jesus. And Christian, are you holding back from proclaiming the kingdom of God? I must confess that there's one guy that the Lord's put on my heart. I want to speak to him about this. I want to invite him to something. But it's like I'm waiting for the perfect opportunity or the perfect conversation opening. If I believe that following Jesus by speaking about the kingdom of God is the most urgent thing in the world, procrastination isn't really an option, is it? Following Jesus is urgent. And finally... Last point, following Jesus is unwavering. Um, I think you'll notice, uh, you can probably tell, I really wanted a third U word there. <laughs> Let's put uh, verses 61 to 62 up on the screen. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This third man, just like the first, he's, or he seems to be offering to follow Jesus, but again, there is this excuse. He wants to say farewell to his family. And on the surface, it seems like a perfectly legitimate excuse. And uh, in fact, Jesus allows just this in Luke chapter 5. Um, there he called a tax collector called Levi. And um, the text says Levi got up and left all to follow Jesus. But in the very next scene, where are they? They're back at Levi's family home. Levi is throwing a banquet for Jesus along with his, uh, his family and friends. Why doesn't Jesus suggest to this third man that he could do something similar? It's because Jesus perceived that this request masked a reluctance to follow and to keep following. This um, is quite clear from the farming Im imagery that Jesus uses here. Let's say you've just quit your job and uh, you've flown out to start your new life as a farmer in Palestine. You want to grow some crops for your field, so what you're going to do is you're going to get a plough, you're probably well, these days you won't hitch it to an animal, you might hitch it to a piece of machinery. Um, but let's say you've only got a donkey, you're going to hitch a plough to a donkey, and uh, your donkey is going to drag the plough through the ground, and that's going to make kind of a furrow where you can put your seeds to plant uh, your crops. But the thing is, in Palestine, the ground is really rocky, and um, if it, the plough is just left on its own, it's going to waver all over the place. So what you're going to need to do, now that you've quit your job to become a farmer in Palestine, is have a hand on that plough. 
keep it going in a straight line, and you've got to focus. You've got to keep going in the same direction. You don't want a wiggly, wavy furrow. You can't drive forwards if you're looking backwards. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Just like in a field in Palestine, so in the kingdom of God, you can't plow a straight furrow if you're looking behind. Taking that approach to service in the kingdom of God will not do. So Jesus warns this person that he just can't do it this way. He can't have his hand on the plow and his eyes on his old life. He can't try and hold on to both things at the same time. The only way he'll keep going is by giving Jesus his full, undivided focus. If you want to follow Jesus, don't look back. We can't plough wonky furrows in the kingdom of God. Instead of having a divided priority between serving Jesus and serving your family, why not serve Jesus by serving your family? Why not serve your family by serving Jesus? Ask our Lord to lead discipleship road straight through the door of your house and into your family life. Then it's not a choice of serving one or the other. Serve your Lord Jesus by speaking God's word into your family life. Serve the Lord Jesus. Focus on him by changing the conversation topic around the dinner table. Serve the Lord Jesus, follow him undividedly, wholeheartedly by praying with members of your family. Following Jesus is unwavering. Let's bring all of that together. Following Jesus, it's uncomfortable, it's urgent, it's unwavering. I think um, when we see all of this together, we get uh, one more impression about what Discipleship Road is like. It's really demanding. It is really demanding. And yet, let's remember that what Jesus asks of us is far less than what he went through for us. He went through a more difficult road than any of us will ever face. And remember that though this road is demanding, it is 100% worth it. Yes, discipleship road for Jesus led him to the cross, but it led him to resurrection life and heaven on the other side. And so if you will count the cost, if you will follow Jesus, you will take that same path. Yes, it will be hard, but it will be 100% worth it eternity with your Father in heaven forever. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this insight into Discipleship Road, what it's like to follow Jesus. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to leave the riches of heaven to embrace poverty here on earth so that you could bring us back to heaven with you. And Father, we pray that all of us would step on this road and walk faithfully, unwaveringly, following our Lord and Saviour, 
We pray that you would help us to walk more closely with Jesus. We pray that you would give us opportunities, even this week, to proclaim the message of the kingdom of God. Thank you that we have such good news to share. We pray that we would embrace this calling, no matter how demanding it might be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our final song.